0: Oh, here we go again. Hey everybody, here we are again. This is uh, your two dad, uh, I guess. It's just me this time and I'm here with my guest. Once again, we are going interview time. We have Mark Phillips from Australia. He is the host of the Mixtape podcast. He's a dad as well. We're going to ask him a few questions today, and uh, if you wanted to just go ahead and give a quick introduction, just uh, whatever you wanted to share about yourself.
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, my name's Mark, as you said. I've been living here in Australia since 2010. Um, prior to that, I lived in uh, Essex, just east of London in in England. Um, my Both my children were born in Australia. They're both Aussie kids. Dexter is 10. He'll be eleven in August, and Vivian is seven, and she'll be eight in October.
0: Right on. I actually have a, a little bit later on where we will discuss Dexter a little bit more. He has uh, got quite the story. Just to start out, I had a quick question that maybe you have some sort of of uh, idea on, and, and this is not something, This might be something that you're you've been asked before. This might be something that you just think is ridiculous, but I I've been talking to a few different people from the UK, people from here and there and it appears to me just off of this you know really brief interaction that if you're from the UK, if you're from Scotland, England, Wales, that you're more likely to say, yeah, I'm from the UK than you are to say I'm from Scotland or Wales or what have you is that do you find that to
1: be the case? Is that
0: like just the norm?
1: Yeah I think um, when you're talking to someone from overseas, from outside the UK, um, that is that is the norm. Um, because it's easier for people, like if you said to your average, you know, American, that you know, maybe not now because Wales is quite popular in America now because of the uh, Ryan Reynolds uh, TV show. But if you say from someone in America that I'm from Wales or I'm from Scotland, they might not know where you mean. But if you group it as a, you know, I'm from the UK, everybody knows, do you know what I mean, where, where that is geographically and, and what goes on there. So I think that's probably the reason why. Um, but yeah, if I'm talking to a fellow... Englishman or someone, a Scotsman or a Welshman or whoever. obviously I'll say I'm from England, and they can normally tell from the accent anyway. I haven't picked up any kind of Australian accent since I've been living here. This is my accent that, I, that I've i had, you know, for, for my whole life. So um, yeah, I think that's the reason why. Right, just something that I thought was kind of interesting, I
0: was a little bit curious about. So typically we start off with just some random and uh, very general geographic questions, because I try to find, I try to build my questions off of what I find from your, just a brief glance at your Facebook profile. And typically you give out yeah, sure. uh, where you live. And sometimes that's not been updated. We had one guest that I was asking him a whole bunch of questions about Auckland. He was like, I, oh, I don't, I don't even live there anymore. So if if that happens to be the case in this particular instance, I do apologize and we can move on to to the next one. But Facebook says that you were originally from Grace Thurrock, Forgive me if I'm pronouncing that wrong. That's actually the, uh, it's labeled the second safest major city in Essex. Do you happen to remember any kind of crime growing up? Is that Does that kind of jive with,
1: with your experience? That's quite funny. Second safest in Essex. Wow, that's not really much of an accolade, I'll be honest, because Essex in general is pretty pretty rough. There are some quite nice areas. Race is is a very much uh, working class town. There's a lot of industry. Um, the next town across Tilbury is a big major uh, shipping port um where boats come up the river Thames um and dock there. um that's where I did my apprenticeship when it when I was a young man. and um yeah, it is very working class crime wise, yeah, uh, no better or worse than than anywhere else I've lived, maybe slightly worse. yeah, I, I, second safest in the essex that's that's bizarre. I didn't even know that 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 sort of uh, league table existed, but yeah, no it's it's not I didn't feel. Uh, unsafe there yeah, or you know like I you know there was you know um, much crime around me at all growing up no not at
0: all uh, it's interesting that you make note of the fact that it is a, a working class town because I really do get the I was looking at pictures and you really do get the vibe of of Pittsburgh or like a city from Russia like they did not yeah. concern themselves with going outside of the norm or outside of of what they needed for architecture and things like that they it's really just this is what we needed for a hospital and we just built a building there and, and you know along those
1: lines yeah yeah a lot of the industry runs along alongside the river thames um so a lot of the industry that's linked to essex is is river based like you know there's a big a massive like sort of along the river you could sort of follow the river along essex and that's where all the major sort of industry is going up in towards london um but the northern parts of essex are quite nice and green and pleasant land there's some quite nice areas and uh, rod stewart lives in, in essex he's got a place just just in essex and um russell brand is from essex um from gray's uh, precisely yeah he was in my sister's class at school
0: is that a point of pride in the area like that he is from there or or did you just not very much so not, right on there was a uh, the, yeah. another gentleman i talked to he was from louth and there was a few famous people from his area you know not like world famous but generally famous and he just wasn't really concerned like that didn't you know affect him that they were from there or not so interesting that you guys do take that as a as a matter of pride so i think think with
1: with russell sorry with russell brand i think that he gives people something to aspire to do you know what i mean he's very much a a self-improvement kind of I won't want to use use the word guru, but you know, um advisor, like you know, that's what he does. He's very much about self-improvement and he's very philosophical about Grays and growing up in Grays and what he, what it was like for him. And he and in people who live there now understand that you know that he's he's one of our people, sort of thing, but he's he's made it out. Like he's he's got away from it, like he's escaped and you know, he's made something of himself. And that's there's always you can aspire to, I'm not saying Grays is like a hopeless town, but people can look at him and see that it is possible. Do you know what I mean? To to improve like that and and get somewhere, you know, in life rather than staying in the same town, living in two or three miles away from where you grew up as a kid. And, you know, obviously with me moving overseas and stuff like that, it's a similar sort of way of thinking. I always wanted to get out and get away.
0: Right on. I remember I read his first autobiography and I was pretty much a fan ever since then. So we're going to jump across quite a bit of distance and move on to Perth. I just learned that you get, well, I say you guys, I don't know if you actually consider yourself... A full member of of the Perth population at this point, but apparently they are referred to as Perthlings. Have you heard that before?
1: I've never heard that phrase before. No one in Perth uses that expression. No, not at all. No.
0: Okay, it gave the uh, the sense that it was something maybe that you were a bit more open minded there, that you uh, weren't as uh, conservative in your in your thinking. I got the feeling that maybe like there was quite a bit of I don't know, this is just based off of off the, the term itself, but maybe there's like a big UFO community there, things like that, that, you know, you guys um, just aren't afraid to look into the things that, that interest you as opposed to just following the the uh, status quo.
1: I don't think so that's exclusive I, to... Go ahead. Sorry, I don't think that's exclusive to, to Perth. I think Australian people in general are pretty sort of liberal and um open to, to ideas like that. Yeah, for sure. I don't think it's a Perth specific thing. I think it's Australia in general.
0: Oh, cool. All right. I've always wanted to go there. But I mean, I feel like I said this when we spoke to the gentleman from New Zealand, but I feel like if I dug a hole beneath my seat right now, I, like I would show up in your house, because you're that far away from me. It's just you're you're on the opposite side of the world. And I can't see the my son really allowing me to take him on that long of a flight until he's much, much older. But hopefully one day, uh, I've always been kind of interested in the the idea that it was originally, I mean, you know, it it was originally colonized, uh, by the, by the British, but for the most part, you have a history of them sending over a bunch of convicts and and them, you know, essentially building the country. So that that's
1: like fascinating to me. (laughs) Yeah. There was no, no room in the prisons in in England back in the sort of 171800s. So, um, they were sent on ships, um, to Australia basically, to, to do exactly that to build to build the railways and and the buildings and the infrastructure and, and things like that. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's basically how we came to populate the country. Yeah. Right on. Cool. Just based off pictures, it's like an
0: amazingly beautiful place. I don't know if I, uh, I haven't looked at a lot of places outside of sydney just because that's what you typically see with australia but if all of australia looks you know well i know that there's a lot of bush and a lot of desert e type of uh environment but if all the cities look like perth then you guys got it going on it's uh ranked as one of the world's okay. most livable quote unquote cities and uh, melbourne actually beat them last year is there
1: any sort of competition between perth and melbourne Huge. Huge competition be, between between it's 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 not specifically Perth and Melbourne. It is a little bit. But it's East versus West is 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 um is really the sort of um the rivalry. But Melbourne is the climate there is a little bit more seasonal. So they they have more like the four seasons. Whereas in Perth, it's normally just really hot or not quite so hot. Um, it's basically yeah, it's how it rolls. But it's actually quite cold at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's um Melbourne's got a really good. Um, cultural, cultural going on like with gigs and theatre and art, ballet, gall- art galleries, things like that. They've got a lot of that going on, which which I think some people in Perth are a little bit jealous of, and that and that kind of is the is the um, is the basis for that kind of rivalry. But um, Melbourne's seen as quite a hipster sort of uh, sort of city, and Perth is seen as more of a sort of down to earth sort of place yeah that we don't sort of carry on like that but yeah there is a massive rivalry and it goes between not just between the people that's all in rivalries everything is, is east, east versus west west is best that's what we say that's what we say in Perth um but yeah there's there is a huge rivalry for sure that kind of ties
0: into a question that I had you guys are one of the most isolated major cities in the world you're actually closer to Jakarta than you are to Sydney and the closest thing we have to that in America, I think, might be Las Vegas, where it's just this one city out there away from everything. And it just blows my mind that you have to go so far to really get to anything close to to where you live. Does, is that does that ever like play on your mind? Do you ever think about that in any way? Or is is Perth big enough that you just don't need to ever go anywhere else? Uh,
1: during COVID, um, there was a lot of problems with supplies, um truck drivers, particularly. Come a lot of food and you know sort of stuff that we can't Perth's not self-sufficient. It doesn't have the manufacturing capability to to support itself. So we bring a lot of stuff in from over east and a lot of stuff from from Asia as well. Um, and during COVID, it, it, it did show a lot that when COVID was very interesting for Western Australia and Perth because we had very 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 few cases, like handful, but hardly any. Um, but we were not allowed to travel outside of our state. And no one was allowed to travel in unless they had, you know, special dispensation. They were truck drivers who were bringing in essential supplies and things like that. That so we kept our borders really, really tightly closed, and, and it did, it did affect us then for, for that isolation and that distance. Um, there was things you couldn't get in the shops and food and you know um, things like that. And it was, it was a difficult time. But day to day, how I um, experienced the isolation of, of Perth City, which is, which is something I find always quite annoying um, when it happens, is because I'm obviously in the music business, I'm a radio show host, I'm a music podcast presenter. Live music coming from somewhere like um, London, where you can see anyone pretty much any night of the week, anyone who tours, any American bands, any Asian bands, any Australian bands, they tour, they always play in London. They always play in London. The bands come to Australia, very often they'll they'll say, Australian tour and it'll be a big announcement and they'll, they'll go Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, and that's it. They don't come to Perth because it's just too far. If there's a big logistical stage set up and things like that for one or two dates, you know, it's just it might as well be another country. Um, like you say, we're closer to Jakarta than we are to, to Sydney. Uh, I think Adelaide's our nearest might be our nearest um, a major city. But yeah, that that's how it, 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 I experience it is is the isolation is for that reason. Um, the bands just just don't want to come here. Or the, sometimes they do, um, but it's it's very few and far between. And it gets quite annoying on being in
0: I bet. Yeah, I remember it was similar to that when I was in Hawaii. You just couldn't get anybody that wanted to go out there. I'm a little bit concerned with the fact that I may have set us for just an hour time limit. And I had some more questions about Perth and, and just random stuff. But I don't want to take any more time away from talking about you specifically and, and what you have going on. Right. Because that's really what the the show is about in these interview segments is is the guest your lives and and you know whatever you might have to promote and you know you're an older man you've got a lot going on you've said you've got at least two jobs but what I really want to talk about uh first just just in case we kind of run low on time is tell us tell us about Dexter because this kid seems like way tougher than me and I don't know yeah. how him and yeah. you have done it it's He's an inspiration on.
1: yeah he has um and, and, I, and I credit his, his mom as well obviously we're, we're no longer together we're not married anymore, but uh, but I I will always credit his mum with 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 a lot of that as well. But basically, Dexter was born. We'd planned a natural birth. That's what my ex-wife wanted was a natural birth for Dexter. Um, she was very pro natural birth, and we went to see an obstetrician privately instead of going through the through the normal sort of um, public system. So we thought we were getting the best possible care that we we possibly could. And we would get the best possible chance of a, of a natural birth. Cut a long story short, uh, our obstetrician went away on holiday and we had a standing obstetrician. At this point, um, I should probably mention as well, I was working away from home at this point, a week on, a week off. So I was away in the mine site for a week and then I was home for a week. And on this occasion, my, my ex-wife went for a checkup with the standing obstetrician and he decided that she had high blood pressure um he gave her an internal examination and then he took her pulse and said well your pulse is a bit racing and she was like well you've just you know given me an internal examination i don't know you from a bar of soap like it's going to happen um and then um he basically diagnosed her with with onset of preeclampsia which is a Condition that pregnant women can suffer with a high blood pressure, and it can be very, very dangerous. So, he admitted her to to the private hospital on the Friday, and I'd the mind site I was at. You can fly in and out Monday to Friday. There's no flights at the weekend, and I knew she'd gone in to see this obstetrician. I said to her, "If you need me to come home, you need to let me know by like four o'clock Friday, so that I can get on a flight and come back." Um, and four thirty, she rang me and she said she was in tears, and she said. Um, he's told me he's going to do uh, this is always the thing that that, that puzzles me. He's going to do an emergency cesarean tomorrow afternoon. So straight away, I thought, well, it's not an emergency if it's tomorrow afternoon. Do you know what I mean? And I, I, I still we never really got to the bottom of of what the the justificational reason was for the emergency cesarean. We very much feel that she was coerced and um railroaded into it when it was not necessary, but, at the same time, when a when a medical professional tells you that you're putting your child, your unborn child's life at risk, you just you just go along, you just say yes. Do you know what I mean? Because he's more qualified than, than we are. Exactly right. Um, so I remember I did manage to get home. I, I had to drive about 200 kilometers to the nearest town where I could get a flight from. And I managed to get home about an hour before she went down um, for the cesarean. Incredibly traumatic time, traumatic birth. Dexter was born by a C-section and he was not breathing when he was born. So he was resuscitated in the delivery suite while while we were there. He was then taken to, in the Humidity Crib, which is the the little crib that, he was five weeks premature as well, by the way. Um, And they'd given my wife an injection that would help Dexter with his lungs because they said maybe his lungs might not be fully developed. But if we're given this injection... You know he'll be he'll be okay and um it will help him with his lung development and he'll maybe be in the in the um special care nursery for a week or two and then you can take him home. that'll be you know what what it's going to pan out to. um as it turned out, Dexter um, and I remember looking at Dexter when he was born, once they'd resuscitated him, they allowed me to cut the cord while they were sort of stitching up my ex-wife and they allowed me to cut the cord and they turned him over and I remember looking at his uh his bum basically and not seeing an anal opening there was nothing there and and he was born without an anal opening so uh, he was eight hours old and he had an operation to uh give him a colostomy bag um so he would have somewhere to to go for the waist to go eight hours old and then fortunately they they'd done that operation straight away because the next that evening we were i was at should also explain as well we were at the uh one private hospital where my wife was recovering from the c-section dexter was taken about two kilometers away to the children's hospital um to the to the nicu unit there um so i was kind of like jumping between the two and i was (laughs) that day or the friday we got the keys for our new house um that we just bought and we were moving out of our rental at the same time um so i was trying to you know think about that as well and then we got a phone call that night to say you should probably come into the NICU unit because um dexter's taken quite a serious turn and um we don't think he's gonna he's gonna last the night so we we went in um, and he was, he was now suffering with, with something called, um, PPHN, which stands for persistent pulmonary hypertension of the newborn, which is basically when you're, when you're in the womb, um, obviously you're not breathing oxygen, right? You just you you're in the womb, but when you're born, there's a valve in a flap in your heart that, that opens and allows the blood flow, the oxygenated blood to flow around your lungs, which allows you to breathe. And that didn't happen for Dexter. Um, so he was oxygen deprived for, for quite a long time. And the, the cardiologist said to us, he took us, he was really amazing. He a South African guy, uh, the his name was, I'll never forget him. Um, he took us into his office and he showed us a PowerPoint presentation that he'd given to the NICU nurses the previous week about pulmonary hypertension, what it is, how they can treat it, what the options are, what the prognosis is. He was, he was incredible when he said to us, look, this was, you know, middle of the night, like two or three o'clock in the morning. He said, I said, I've been with Dexter all day. He said, um, I have got a relief cardiologist. Um, but basically he said he's not as experienced as I am. So he said, I'm gonna stay um and I'll be with Dexter all night and and all day tomorrow as well. And I'll make sure um, you know, I do my absolute best for him. And he Dexter was on a, what they call high frequency uh ventilator. So it's like a normal normal ventilator when to, to help you breathe. Um but it's it's also pumping nitric nitric acid in, into his lungs to, to help his lungs breathe and so it started off about 80 percent or something like that and over the course of like two or three days he turned it down he turned it down he turned it down till he was almost breathing on his own but so yeah so so he had both of those things going on at birth and then we eventually then we had problems with him being able to breastfeed so we were in the special care nurse we couldn't we didn't hold him until he was about nine days old um when he was off the off the off the ventilator it was it was a tough time it was a tough a tough week or two I lost my job in that time as well I was made redundant from my job that week and we were moving into a new house as well that we would just bought and spent all our savings on carpets and painting and you know stuff like that so it was it was a really really traumatic time for us um as a couple and as a family Consequently, later, my my ex-wife was diagnosed with with PTSD, and general anxiety as a as a result of that of that experience. Yeah. So, and then Dexter going forward from that, Dexter then had what they call when he was three months old, they had what they call an plasty. So they created the anal opening, and his bowel and everything was was all there. Everything was was there, but there was just no no exit. Um, so they created the anal opening, connected the bowel to it and then yeah and then he still had the colostomy bag for another three months after that because once you've done that surgery you have to give time to let it heal things like that um so we we did that for for three months and then he had the colostomy closed up when he was about six months old i think and then he was in nappies like a you know normal quote unquote baby and and that was that he yeah he also was born with a collection of uh birth defects um that they qualify under the term bacterial association which is basically the bucket they put in all the birth defects that they can't you know quantify you know in any other way so there was his genitals were kind of fused together so his penis was fused to his to his scrotum um yeah he had an undescended testy as well um so he had to have what they call what did they call it like a designer circumcision to cut that piece of skin and and make it look like normal, which it which it does. That was about eight or nine months old. I think he had that done. Uh, I'm just trying to think of all the different sort of surgeries he's had. So we were seeing cardiologists for regular checkups because of the problems he had he'd had at birth. And he got to like two, three, four years old, and he was going all right, but he he was having continence problems because of the because of the bowel surgery. Just before he was starting kindy at, at four years old, um, we managed to get an operation for him called a, an ACE, which is basically a, a small incision in his just on his on his right side there. Um, and what you can do is um, you can you can attach a catheter to it. It goes in, inside his tummy, and you can hang a, a bag of like a drip bag, but it's just saline solution and literally soap, castile soap, like natural castile soap. And you hang that up, and you put, you insert that in the in the hole, and then he sits on the toilet for, you know, half an hour, forty-five minutes, and and that flushes out his his entire system. So he's not constantly soiling his underwear and having accidents, and you know things like that. We wanted to get him, you know, we didn't. We were very conscious of the psychological impact of him being at kindy and being at school and constantly having accidents and soiling his his underwear and things like that, and being teased about it and things like that. We really sort of thought long and hard about. The, the psychological, mental side of it for him um, and what he was going to be going through. So before he started kindy, we, we, we had that operation and that was a success. That worked really well. And just every year he was having a checkup with the cardiologist about his heart. And it was always a routine thing. They'd do the, the scan and everything and they'd go, okay, yeah, we'll see you next year. Not a problem. And then this one year um, when he was four years old, he went in for his routine and it and it wasn't that outcome it was a serious um one side of his heart was enlarged a lot more than the other because the blood flow wasn't quite wasn't quite right in his heart he had two holes in his heart which we'd been told would heal up on their own as he grew up and got older and and that wasn't the case they weren't healing up um so we took him in for that scan and then or my ex-wife took him in for that scan and then two weeks later um he was taken in for open heart surgery um to to repair the two holes in his heart that was uh, as a dad that was that was one of the the toughest moments because i know what the operation entails right i know they're gonna they're removing his heart from his body and they're gonna put it on bypass while they do the repairs and so i know exactly what they're gonna do and i remember we were in the waiting room for him to go in for surgery and um we were trying to really sort of play it down and so he didn't pick up on on our anxiety and our worries and, and things like that just to try and um you know things. and we took lego in for him and stuff like that to do to keep him occupied because he can't eat either all day before surgery so he was he's a four-year-old boy do you know what i mean he's, he's just yeah it was really difficult to for that side of things and i remember asking him only one parent is allowed to 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 go into the what do you call it the the pre-surgery I can't remember the name of the room now but the pre-surgery room where they go in and give you the anesthetic before they take you into theater only one parent was allowed to go in and I asked him who does he want to take him mummy or daddy and I remember looking at my ex-wife and we were both thinking don't let it be me please you know don't let it be me and he he was looking at me and he said mummy um and I looked at my ex-wife and she just went so i said what about if daddy takes and he was like okay yeah so i took him and i remember carrying him down that corridor i remember it like hyper detail of of that i remember there what was on the tv when we were walking past i remember the smell i remember the the color of the floor tiles i remember the the posters on the wall like everything that moment was just like so deeply um ingrained in my mind and um that the amount of surgeries that he had at that point, he was very traumatized by the the anesthetic mask that the, the t- children have to wear when when they go in for surgery. I had to physically restrain him while they put that on him. and that was that was one of the the hardest things I've ever had to do, like those moments and and i and I, I look back on that now and I think anything that, that anything that challenges me in life, I think if I can do that, if I can get through that. I can I can I can handle anything. Not not a problem. Do you know what I mean? That was hands down one of the hardest moments of my life. As it as it turned out, he he came out of the surgery well. And um, yeah, he's been he's been sort of heart wise, he's been fine. Um he's had annual checkups um every year since he was four. He's 10 now. And um about six months ago, he had his last checkup and they said, We don't need to see you anymore. You're fine. So that was that was brilliant. Um, that was that was a really a really big win. In between that, when he was in, I don't know how your 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 years your school years go like grade, don't they? Like grade one, grade two, grade three. So I'll do it by age. Um, so he was he was six years old. That so was it was year, we call it year one. I guess you call that grade one. Um, and his teacher said to to my ex wife one day, "Have you ever had Dexter assessed for autism?" And he'd had a few sort of behavioral problems that we weren't really sort of aware of. We sort of were, but he had been touched upon briefly. We'd skirted around it when he was a lot younger. But I think we both kind of knew that there was something a little bit different about him, but not, you know, we didn't want to acknowledge it. Because I think there was so much other stuff going on like that was even if it was true like we just like we can't we haven't got the capacity to deal with that right now like that's you know we'll look at that another time and I think we both kind of mentally put it put it away um for a time and then his school teacher who who has autistic children herself said to us I think you should get Dexter assessed um for autism so he was what six six or nearly seven years old then so we did and um they said yes, Dexter's. Um, Dexter's on the spectrum, and by the way, he's also got ADHD. <laughs> Brilliant! Thanks for that. So yeah, so um, he, he's he's an incredible little boy. I think the way that me and my ex-wife manage him, and I give ourselves a lot of credit for that, because he he doesn't see autism or his heart condition, or not uh, he doesn't have the heart condition anymore, but any of his medical problems he doesn't see them as obstacles he sees them as just things that that, that are there Do you know what i mean just things that, that he that he's, that's how he is um i remember the proudest moment uh, i had as a as a dad was when um we went to his to see his teacher we had a meeting with his teacher i think he he was about 8 or 9 years old and the teacher said uh, if we were talking about him and academically how he is and you know then she started talking about how he is as a boy and a person. And, and she said, I've got to tell you this story. She said, "Um, I'm sorry, I'm going to get a bit emotional when I tell this story because I always always get a bit emotional when I think about this. But she said they, all the children were sitting on a mat and she was asking the class like questions. And the children were putting their hands up when they wanted to answer the question. And um, she asked a question and, and Dexter had his hand up to answer the question. She didn't quite get to him. And she asked... Another question. She moved on to the next question. She said, "And the question was, what do you like about yourself?" And she noticed that Dexter put his hand down straight away. And so she pulled him and she said, "You had your hand up, Dexter. What what do you like about yourself?" And he said, "I like that I'm different." And for me, that was just like, "You keep that attitude, mate. You keep that fault. You run with that for the rest of your life because that is the way to go. Embrace the difference. Do you know what I mean? That is absolutely." Perfect. And I was so proud of him. And his mum was so proud of him. Yeah, it was it was a really, a really great moment for me as a dad. Like, I was so proud. Um, yeah, and it's it just, you know, you look at him and you would never know, Corey. You'd never know like what he's been through. And he's also on top of that, he's had the usual childhood things. He's had his tonsils out. Do you know what I mean? And and he's he's had he's had the usual kid stuff. So I think he's on his thirteenth, thirteenth surgery he's had now. I think he's got one more to have on his on his undescended testes still. But, yeah, we don't do the bow washouts anymore. that's that's finished in the last sort of six or maybe two months. We finished doing those now, and he's managing to be continent himself, which is a massive win. That's like this is, doing that washout every every other night was was a real sort of um we couldn't go camping. Do you know what I mean holidays was always extra consideration we have to think about. And so yeah, that was um that was pretty much in a nutshell. <laughs> Dexter's, Dexter's story. Throughout it all, I remember the decision to have another child after that was massive. It was huge, and was something that me and my ex-wife talked about a lot. And we we decided that we would. Um, We wanted to try for for a a brother or sister. And cut another long story short, Vivian was born um, in 2015, and I think that. for me uh, and i hoped as well my ex-wife it was vivian was a natural home mm-hmm. water birth which to to have a natural home water birth after you've had such a traumatic cesarean is it's one of the most amazing things i've ever seen someone go through or experience as, as far as my ex-wife it was just the strength of character she showed like during that time was was unbelievable and you know, we're divorced now and, you know, we have our ups and downs and things like that. But that that remains like one of, the, one of the most amazing things I've ever seen anyone do. The moment Vivian was born, it kind of wiped away. Like everything was written on a whiteboard. Do you know what I mean? That we'd gone through with Dexter and it's like someone just, that's it, closure. Do you know what I mean? That was, it was amazing. I worried that because Dexter had been through everything he'd been through, when my ex-wife was pregnant with Vivian, I worried that I wouldn't love her as much as I love Dexter, because of what he's been through and everything he's had to overcome, I I, I did worry that I, I'm not going to. How can I love another child as much as as I love Dexter? Like, it's, <laughs> and and then she was bald and it was just like, what was I thinking? Of course, do you know what I mean. She's an amazing little girl, and she's very confident, forthright. Yeah, knows what she wants in life at, at seven years old already, and yeah, she's. I, I try very hard with both me and my ex wife again. We think a lot about the, the psychological impact, not just on Dexter but on her as a sibling, in terms of attention. Because Dexter, especially when he was younger, used to get loads of attention and hospital appointments and talking about him and conversations. And we were really conscious always of not of Vivian feeling like excluded and, and lacking in attention because because Dexter does get all that attention. So we worked really hard on you know, and we still do now, even when we were divorced. On one-on-one time with with Vivian, especially because we don't ever want her to feel sort of pushed out or start resenting Dexter for his, you know, you know, for that side of things. So yeah, that that's that's pretty much that's pretty much it. Vivian was born without any health concerns or complications at all, and and yeah, that's basically Dexter and, and Vivian's story. Yeah, yeah,
0: right on. We're down here to about eleven minutes due to my foolish mistake, I guess. I had so much more to talk about. I wanted to find where you where you found the strength to go through all this. Like, the, did you just have awesome parents? I wanted to talk about Tottenham. Um, you like, I like the idea. No, no, let's talk,
1: the... talk about Tottenham.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, let's not talk about Chelsea either. No, like the idea of your podcast. No, I'm, happy to, you know? I'm
1: happy to go on a bit longer, mate. If you want to go on longer than the hour, well, that's fine, mate. I can go on a bit longer. I'm not...
0: I'm concerned by the fact, like, I'm looking at this counter here, counting down from 11 minutes, and I don't want to get to, you know, zero, and we're in the middle of a sentence and, and it's cut off. I'm wow, totally I'm fine having you back sometime if you want. Well, uh, we could talk a little yeah, bit more yeah, about yeah. that. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure that you had enough time to promote your podcast, uh, because obviously, you know, you're doing um, you're doing your thing down there in addition to your numerous other jobs. And I just wanted to, you know, allow you to get that message out to however few fans that we had. You know, like I said, you had a really cool idea for it. And, um, you know, just share what you what you uh, want to get out there while we still have the time to do it.
1: Okay, yeah. So um, when when I separated and, and um, from my ex-wife, I went through a kind of process where I was sort of thinking, right, okay, what do I want my life to look like now? What, what do I want to do? Um, I'm very much, anytime I can turn a negative into a positive, and no matter how big or small, I buzz off that. I get off on that, like, so much. So, and that can be, you know, losing a job and then finding a better job or separating from my ex-wife and, and all the heartache and everything that that entails. But then what can I do that's going to, not make it better, but, you know, how can I still, how can I improve my life? What can I do? How can I make this into a, into a positive how can I learn from it? What can I take away from it? What lessons can I learn so I don't make the same mistakes in the future? Even if it's just that. I love turning the negative situation into a positive. So I was obviously, i been a music lover. I love music. Um, I have done all my life. I was that kid in the playground at school. walking on 24-7. Um, I had two jobs as a teenager just to buy batteries and cassette tapes. Like that was basically all it was. And so I was running or kind of semi- running the the vinyl buy and sell business and i was getting quite, quite quite well into that and then um one day i was selling at a record fair and a guy came up and bought loads of cds off me like and not many people buy cds anymore um and i was just chatting to him i said you know what are you a collector or whatever he said yeah, i am a collector but what i want these for is i'm a presenter on a local community radio station and they let me play whatever i want um, so this is this is what this is what these CDs are for. He said, and I sort of knew him a little bit and he said, You should you should come up. He said, You'd be brilliant. Like you should come on, and you know. I was like, Oh, I don't know, I'll think about it. And then I was but I was in that mindset of just saying yes and being open to new possibilities and new experiences. So I was like, Do you know what? I'll give it a go. And so, cut a long story short again. I went to the radio station, I spoke to him and and we agreed on a on a late night slot where I'd be playing new music, introducing people to them. like the show's called The Mixtape. So when you make someone a mixtape, you know, you're trying to introduce them to new music, new songs and that kind of thing. And that's what the radio show is, just on a bigger scale. The second I sat down behind that desk, Corey, and pushed the fader up on that microphone, I thought I'm 50 years old and I've just found what I want to do with my life. This is it. (laughs) Like, where, How have I not found myself in this situation 25 years ago? Like I was so annoyed. I thought, okay, well, I'm here now. Let's just make the best of it. So the radio station's good. They they let me play whatever I want. It doesn't matter, you know, swear words, you know, content, whatever. As long as it's not too extreme, they're fine. I can play whatever I want. It's 9.30 till 11.30. My show's actually going out right now. Um, It's a pre-record. So it's going out now as we're speaking. Um, That's on a local community radio station. I get a lot of local bands on the show and play them and give them a lot of exposure because it's very difficult for bands that don't have a record deal to get radio play and things like that. So... About forty-five minutes of my show usually is dedicated to local Perth-based bands and WA bands, and then I was at the pub one mate with one day with my mate Al, and he said to me, "You should do a podcast." And I was like, oh, "Everyone does podcasts post COVID. There's like millions of podcasts out there. What am I bringing to the table?" You know I mean, he said, "No, oh, you're so passionate. You love music. You know, you'll be brilliant. I'd listen to it." So I was like, "Okay, all right." So I started. I said, "All right, I'll do a podcast." But yeah, originally, it was i said to him i don't want to interview famous people and, and, and musicians i want to interview normal everyday people but who've got remarkable stories about what music does for them what it brings to their lives you know experiences i, said, I don't want to interview famous people and then i said okay well, i'll do it so i started setting it up and getting it all ready, and you know spotify for podcasters and all that gets sent up the account and everything and then out of the blue there's an irish band i'm not sure if you aware of called ash um they were massive in the 90s and um they were doing a 30th anniversary tour, and they were coming to Australia. Um, and I got the opportunity to interview them. And I was like, oh, I've got to put this out as a podcast now. Because I had to, because it's Ash. You know what I mean, I could not. And then, so I put that out as episode one. And then I just started interviewing Perth musicians. And I was, and I was like, this isn't really what I want to do with my podcast. It wasn't the, 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 the idea behind it. And then, out of the blue, this lovely guy from uh, North Carolina, uh, Jesse, Slid into my Instagram DMs and he said, "I've listened to your podcast and your radio show. I think it's awesome. Would you be interested in joining my religion?" and I was like, "Come again?" So, would you be interested in joining my religion? And what it is, it's basically a Facebook group that, that where new bands and 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 podcasters and radio journalists sort of network, basically. But it is an officially recognized religion by the state of North Carolina. And I said to him, "Yes, I'll join your religion." And you were exactly the sort of person I was thinking of when I was thinking about doing this podcast. So will you come on my podcast and and, and we had a lovely chat. It was an amazing chat. It was brilliant. Um, we like sort of brothers from another mother, like so much in common with regards to music and stuff. So Jesse was the first, was the first guy I had I had that was really the sort of the essence of what I wanted the podcast to be. Subsequently, I've gone back to interviewing musicians and things like that, but the mixtape podcast to get to the point is basically I ask the person who's on the show to pick six tracks for their mixtape. So track one is your intro track. What's the track that you're going to put on there to draw me in and, you know, make me want to listen to the rest of the mixtape. Track two is um, be obscure, pick a, an album track or a B-side. Track three is uh, what's a song that you wish you could play to your 18-year-old self. Track four is... It's my podcast, i will try to remember now. Track four is... Um, a song that you would put on there that if you want to let the person know that you're romantically interested, track five is the closing track. What would be your track that you want to have a lasting impact and want the listener to take away and, you know, remember out of all the tracks on the, on the thing. So that's the, that's the essence of the, of the mixtape podcast. I'm just starting to record episodes for that now. And so I can consistently release um, one a week. So that starts on the 29th of June. So at the mixtape Perth, which is, Right there. You can get that on Spotify, uh on Instagram, sorry, and then all the dice and you can go back and you've
0: gone all choppy on me.
1: Oh, froze up a bit there. You're back now.
0: Oh, okay. There you are. Right on. All right. Uh so that brings us down. assuming that um this computer's telling me the truth. We have three minutes left. So I'm gonna go ahead and uh I guess end it there. I I just want to say though that when I read the you know the song descriptions for your for your mixtape, I was like, I gotta do this. Like I, I should I should do this <laughs> for the pod, but I I just have so much going on. Um, hopefully, I will, uh, you know, add you on Facebook or or what have you, add you on the Instagram, and um, hopefully maybe I can just send you one one day and you can, um, you know, at least you'll have it and you'll have that to remember me by. But
1: Definitely. that be being said,
0: welcome, I do appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much. I didn't expect to, I mean, I, I only use the video for uh, advertising mm-hmm. because I just don't go, I don't have long stretches of time where, I can go without saying, uh, and um, or thanking for time. And I just don't want to put a video of mm-hmm. that out. So it's really just for advertising on TikTok and what have you. I will mm-hmm. uh, hashtag you when I do that. So it may be that you will mm-hmm. see that pop up. I'm on Instagram too, your two dads. So it may be that you will uh, see that come across in some way, shape, or form. But I, I, you know, thanks again for coming on. I didn't think that I would spend, you know, 15, 20 minutes of it crying my eyes out. But, you know, hey, that happens. I was glad to to hear your story. And it was, like Thanks. I said, I feel like you have so much more to say. And I really regret, I've never, I have had interviews before. and never had to to change the time to reflect anything different. But this time it's made a big deal out of, hey, you have a minute and 30 seconds left. So, like I said, I don't yeah. want to cut us off in the middle of something. Uh, Anytime just, you want to do part two, Mike, just, just let me know. Yeah, right on. Yeah. I, it's really cool how everyone I've talked to, I've been like, like, I could talk to that guy again. And I'm typically like super socially anxious and not very big on talking to strangers. Like that's just not my thing. So mm-hmm. this podcast has really yeah. been about, you know, at least partly getting me out of my uh, comfort zone and really getting me to, to you know yeah. meet new people and, and learn new things. So, and you, and you definitely helped a lot with that today. You are Thanks, Corey, a stronger you, man. man than me, Mark Phillips. And I hope that <laughs> if I can be even close to your level one day, then, then excuse me, I'll be good to go because my son is you know he's not experienced half the stuff that you God, nearly the stuff that your son has and I just worry about him all the time and to think that you've had to go through what you went through is just it's just insane and I, I applaud you you are a man among men but we do a, a thing sometimes called dad of the week and if we ever get back to our regular episodes you're going to be my dad of the week for whatever week that is thanks Mike so I appreciate once it. again hey man thank you so much and uh, have, a good, uh, have a good time out there in Perth. Uh, well, I guess it's nighttime today, so uh, for you, but uh, have a good, you know, uh, rest of your week and thank you so much. We'll talk to you hopefully again sometime.
1: Cheers, Corey. Thanks a lot for having me, mate. I really appreciate it. Good luck, mate.